The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, I am Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining us as co-host, once again, we've got Porsche. G'day, Macca. G'day, listeners. Bloody hell, what an amazing fixture we got today. Amazing. amazing. Incredible. <laughs> Love it. That's uh, as good as we're ever going to get. I think the most amazing thing about this one is that it's not only home fans that are going to be excited, but I think if you're in Victoria, you should be a little bit excited too with home games against, oh, sorry, Victorian games against uh, Collingwood at the MCG and I think Richmond at the MCG too, which is pretty nice. Uh, and a couple of games at Eddie too. So that's two games at the MCG this year. Against big drawing sides, potentially. So that'd be good. It's a miracle. I know. That never happens. We normally get both sides right. of Etihad or something terrible like that. And, uh, of course, at home, those Sunday night games. Excellent result. Anyway, yes. Indeed. That's it. Now, it's just the two of us tonight. Rick uh, can't join us. He's um, he's a bit uh, laid back at work. Uh, couldn't find a guest. So uh, I guess all we've got to do is dim the lights, uh, light a couple of candles, crack open a smooth bottle of red. Put on some relaxing music and have a bit of fun. Oh, that wasn't creepy that. at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was not creepy at all. That's <laughs> uh, all right, Macko. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, well, let's uh, let's get straight into it and talk about the fixture. That's the big news this week: the release of the 2016 AFL fixture. And it's got to be said, it's a it's an absolutely sexy one for Port Adelaide. Uh, just to go through a couple of the main points quickly, we've got uh, double-ups against Adelaide, Richmond, GWS, Melbourne and Brisbane. So no top four teams from 2015. Uh, we've got six night games at Adelaide Oval, three Saturday night, two Friday night and a Thursday night game against Hawthorne. Um, I guess we've got tough away games against North Frio and Sydney. Um, we only play Hawks, Geelong, West Coast and Western Bulldogs at home, which is fantastic. We only played two finalists um, in the first eight rounds, so we've got uh, a pretty generous start to the season. Um, and we finished with a Saturday away game against Gold Coast. So, in all honesty, it's uh, on paper this is as good a fixture as we're ever going to get. I can't look. I'm, I can't even think like what you've got on the wish list apart from more MCG games, more Friday night games, really. And that's just you know we're, we're doing all right. Finished stateside in both of those categories, I would have thought. So yeah, yeah, no, it's um quite quite astounding. Quite astounding that they've been, we've been given this draw. And I, I kind of hope that in part, um, in previous years, the AFL's talked about, oh, look, if you play the games, if you play the style of football, then we'll give you the time slots. And we've done that for a while now and it's not really been rewarded. But with Carlton getting no Friday night games and us getting this sort of draw, maybe they've finally decided to start walking the walk as well as talking the talk. And uh, we're finally getting a bit more exposure that we, we probably deserve, as I suppose, over the last three years outside of Hawthorne. We've probably been the most exciting football team to follow. I would have thought, in terms of our performance, not necessarily our final ladder position, but in terms of not being knocked out of games. And as a neutral, yeah. you, you don't want to watch those one-sided matches. So Port Adelaide um, should be prime time because we don't have a lot of those ones where we get completely blown out, and we have a lot of those ones where we do come back late. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to be. It's good to think that going into 2016, the Port Adelaide Football Club is going to be recognised, and hopefully that might flow over to other things like all Australian selections, Brownlows, all that sort of stuff as well. So who knows? Maybe it's the start of, maybe it's the start of something fantastic. Let's pretend it Fingers is. Fingers crossed. Fingers mm. crossed. <laughs> Look, there's absolutely no excuses next year. We don't have a, a really tough run of games against, you know, like what we had at the start of uh, this year. Uh, so there's really no excuses. I mean, if we can't finish top four um, next season with this sort of draw um, and a good run with injuries, then I guess we never will, really. Yeah, it's the injuries that's the one, and everyone should be touching wood as they're listening to this, um, because if we if we get injured, then it all just goes to shit and it's all wasted. But um, if we can keep it at a decent level and hopefully not to essential personnel, then yeah, we, we, we've got the premiership. We've got the premiership. We're going to win it. Woo! <laughs> Party time already. I know. I'm <laughs> it's excited. not even November yet. It's great. It sure beats waiting for the draft, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, moving on, uh, trade week or trade period finished last Thursday after, a, uh, I guess, an unprecedented amount of activity from the clubs. Uh, more players than ever before changed hands, more picks as well. Um, and I guess the main thing was um, there was a serious amount of quality that changed hands as well. 
Yeah, I think that was, I suppose in a way you could expect that to happen when the AFL came out and said you could trade two years worth of picks effectively. Uh, that makes it obviously a lot more room for there to be a free-flowing exchange period. Um, but also, I guess no one could have accounted for the degree to which the, um, the, the, sorry, the academy bidding system would impact on trade period this year. It was quite interesting and um, I suppose if we'd known that in advance, we might have even better get even better deal for Charlie Dixon because GWS obviously wanted that pick 10 to play around with quite, uh, sorry, um, Gold Coast obviously wanted that uh, pick 10 to play around with quite badly. Um, we maybe could have held out a bit longer and screwed them around a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But you don't know. I'm just looking at it now. I think there's, uh, I'm just quickly going through it. Uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 first round picks got traded. 17 mm. first-round picks got traded. So, yeah. sort of, sorry, players that have previously been first-round picks. So, a, a serious amount of quality there. Lots of picks got traded as well. Um, I guess the main thing to take out of it was uh, the amount of activity uh, for clubs like GWS, Brisbane, and Sydney uh, mm. with the new academy rules and the bidding system. Um, and I guess most interesting is um, that they were all seeming to trade down and try and uh, accrue more points by getting more picks. Yeah, well, and that's, I've just discussed it on Big Footy, but it's really a flaw with the system uh, in that, and it's not one they're going to be able to change with the current system, is that if you have a standard picks uh, points value, it doesn't account for the differences in depth in draft years. Um, so if you have a super draft, um, in theory, pick 30 is the same as it would be in a terrible draft year, and we all know that's not the case. And the clubs know what the real value is, uh, and so in a shallow draft, Early picks are great for regular clubs and the top, the um, the academy clubs. They just want to get those uh, point values. So it's probably going to be more the case in a year like this. I think in the next super draft, which they're talking about, is what twenty seventeen. Um, yep. Then we might see a lot of trading slow down again because people will be thinking, "No, we we're pretty happy with the picks we've got." Um, but I think it's um, I think we've seen part one of this little show. I think it'll all become a bit more evident just what's happened after the draft this year because. Uh, take for example Melbourne they did a lot of work in the draft to move up and they've got picks 3 and 7 but after you take out them academy players I'll be interested to see what those picks effectively become with the talent that comes out of the pool and whether they whether they actually got a significant boost at this point it looks like they did but until you see the results of the bidding in the draft and how many players have been pulled out of the player pool from academies um, it's hard to say just who has won it's made it very random um, and I guess the only safe way to know that you're not winning or losing is to trade out, which we've done, so that's pretty easy. <laughs> mm. I guess from our point of view on face value, um, it looks like our pick 49 might actually jump up 10 spots, and we might actually end up picking around sort of pick 39 or 40. Yeah, but for that to happen, it probably means it's going to effectively have dropped down 5 or 6, because um, it means 5 or 6 academy players are probably gone at that point, I would have thought. So the actual boost is not what we're thinking, I guess. Yeah, but we we would never have access to those players. Yeah, we would. That's in why previ- we in the previous system. Oh, yeah, but that's that's okay. That's different to the previous system, but it doesn't mean it's actually fixed. Um, it's still players coming out of the talent pool, and so you're looking at not not even whether it's a fair system, but what effect it has on your draft picks in relation to the total talent pool that is available across the the league. Um, that's what you need to be looking at. So it's not about whether it's fair or not. It's just about what is the value, like what effective priority did you really get for a player this year? Um, yeah. So you need to take into account. It's going to be interesting to see who bids on these players. I know Mills and Hopper um, are very, very highly rated. I think a lot of scribes are predicting that um, quite possibly Melbourne might pick on one um, at pick three. Um, maybe um, Essendon as well might pick on another Hipwood, um, the tall uh, tall ruckman from Brisbane. Um, he might even be bid on in the top ten as well. Uh, so it's going to be interesting just to see how many of these picks um, get chewed up. I think it's interesting because, uh, particularly with Gold Coast and GWS, I don't think that the, the I suppose the traditional clubs in South Australia, WA, Victoria are going to be too concerned about the go-home factor for these players. Um, I think with Sydney it might be a bit more of an issue, like if someone's been through the Swans Academy and then they get drafted to Melbourne or something, they might want to go back in a few years' time. But I think if you've been playing at GWS and you go to Frio, 
or to, I don't know, Essendon or Collingwood or wherever else. I don't think there's going to be a real concern on the part of those clubs getting them. So which means they're probably more likely to bid at their real value, which is probably um, not great for GWS and Gold Coast, but part of that is probably borne out from the fact that they're non-competitive um, at the moment. Mm. So it's Do you think this is a fairer system compared to what it was previously? Uh, look, it really, the system itself, it's hard to say because this, the system is only relevant in relation to the talent pool. And that's where it really comes down to like things like the size of the academy, um, what sort of priority they get in picking these players, how good their talent systems are, because that's what really affects the, the fairness of it at the end of the day, um, is the development that they have and the uh, talent spotting ability they have. So obviously we've known for a few years now that Brisbane have not got their shit together. Uh, and they're sort of proven that again in this off-season, I guess. They don't, I don't know how much they're expecting to be able to recruit in through their academies. Um, so the system is going to be issue, uh, an issue because those clubs are going to vary wildly as to how good their, their quality talent is. Uh, it's the same issue we had with Geelong with the father-son picks, so they got all those guys um, when they were super, super cheap, which is that the system's fair, except that there is so much variety in how an individual club can access that system that it just becomes a randomness. And random isn't the same as fair, and that's a really important thing to remember when you're looking at systems. So I suppose it is better uh, than the last system because it does require that the market value be pretty much close to paid. But as to things like how the value of the academy players, like what quality of players they're allowed to bring in, um, and retain, then that's probably the area where you could probably look at and say, okay, what's the difference here? Why is there so much variation? Um, is it something that's going to be a constant variation where a couple of teams are always getting academy picks and, say, Brisbane or Sydney are not? Um, it's a lot to look at, and it's a real danger of mixing a draft equalising system and uh, an auction system together. Um, it's a bit of a, a dangerous thing to do, and uh, it's at these times that I really wish that I'd love to hear about it if it was the case, but I really wish that someone at the AFL had studied things like game theory and things like that to work out how decisions will be made because it seems like we're caught off guard every time. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's going to be interesting because traditionally New South Wales and Queensland haven't been a happy hunting ground um, in terms of top-end elite talent. Um, I think the stats show that in the last 15 years there's only been one uh, top 10 draft pick from New South Wales and that was Jared McVeigh back mm. in 2003 I think it was. Obviously Heaney would have gone top 10 last year. Um, I think from Queensland there's been two in Armitage and Rewalt and that's it. Um, so it really hasn't really been a, a happy hunting ground for elite talent. Um, I guess with Heaney and now with Hopper and Mills coming in um, and Hipwood I guess the question has to be asked is, um, is this just a fluke in terms of suddenly these are, these uh, elite talents are happening or is it due to the pathway that they've already begun with these clubs? I think part of it might be that uh, the clubs south of the border are getting more of an idea of these players. So part of the reason why New South Wales and Queensland and Northern Territory and Tasmania would have relatively few highly drafted players is because in the under-18s, they all play in Division 2, which is a much lower standard than, say, Vic Metro Country SAWA, which itself has a lot yeah. of variation between the teams. And so they haven't had the same exposure to, I suppose, their peers within that draft year that the teams in Division 1 have. So that makes the Division 1 people a higher quantity. And at the end of the day, you've got to remember, the draft is not an absolute arbiter of quality. It's an arbiter of desirability. And so the most desirable player to a recruiter is the one that they know the most about and that it's good. So you do get mistakes made with the Division 2 players. So I think there's been a couple of classic ones. One that everyone knows about, I suppose, would be someone like Mitch Thorpe in 2006, who was yeah. picked very early on, and he was Tasmanian, and again, didn't have a lot of exposed form. And a few picks later, um, Rewald went. So that was a bit different. Uh, Richard Tambling, pick four in 2004, another classic example of a Northern Territory player that people just they thought he was the goods, but they didn't see him play against his real peers. Um, and so that's proud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a whole bunch of players. Now he's in like jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole other issue. But um, mm. I suppose one thing that might change next year is I've read somewhere that they're talking about introducing uh, an allies side into the Division One, so having a composite side of New South Wales, Queensland, and maybe into in Tasmania, which will potentially give those players more exposure to the Division One players, which might, again, make the draft more easy to predict and it might raise the market value of New South Wales and Queensland. But 
Um, when New South Wales includes places like Albury and Wagga, which are traditional sort of AFL places, um, and if they're available in the academy, or I suppose Broken Hill as well, uh, then I suppose in the case of New South Wales, there might be a case to say that that should probably be reined in a little bit because there are good yeah. players there um, that have grown up in a football environment and have probably been playing football for a very long time. Oh, no doubt. Look, GWS's zone includes the Riverina, which is a, a traditional football happy hunting ground, I guess you'd say. Uh, lots of very, very good players have come out of there. The likes of Wayne Carey, John Longmire, Shane Crawford, uh, to name a few. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's too many clubs that are happy that they have access to uh, to that region, and I think that might change in time. Mm-hmm. I think the system that we've got now is it's better than what it was. Is yep. it perfect? Probably not. Um, I think maybe the point system values might change over time. They might uh, rein them in a little bit, so it's a bit harder um, to uh, to bank so many sort of second and third round picks as what um, the likes of Brisbane and GWS have done. Um, but I think it's a good step in the right direction. And look, I, personally, I think that um, the likes of Brisbane and Sydney and GWS and Gold Coast um, do deserve to have the, a right to, to pick these players from their home states um, before anyone else because they're in a bit of a unique situation. Yeah, I think that if I was going to make a change to the current system, assuming that you don't want to change it too much, I'd probably just reduce the amount of discount they get. Because um, really the power to... Yeah, that's a good point. The power to be in a draft situation that someone else says, we're going to take this player and then, you know, do a take back, you know, um, that is powerful by itself. Being able to say, decide at that point when someone else has already bid on them whether you actually want that player or not. And that's probably enough of an advantage almost by itself. So if you knocked it back from 20% to, say, 5% even, I think that would probably still be a pretty excellent benefit for those um, academy teams. Um, but it also meant that they'd have to probably use slightly higher value of uh, uh, draft or trade commodity or draft commodity to actually get those players. So that might be a good adjustment in the short term rather than adjusting the, the value system, which obviously has had yep. a bit of work put into it. No doubt. A uh, couple of winners. Who are your winners of, uh, of the trade period? It's really hard to say. I mean, obviously, I think the number one... And I know we're a Port Adelaide podcast, but Port Adelaide, how much did we nail this trade period? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. <laughs> I can't believe that so many people in the press have said that we didn't do a very good job. I don't... Well, I think because the press are driven by sensationalism and the trades they really like are the ones that are very controversial or the ones that are sort of surprises late in the, thing, late in the, the period when the value of that is higher. So I think journalists have a different perspective to regular people. Um, they're more interested in the trades where it's like, oh, my God, how... Wow, where did that come from? Um, whereas Port Adelaide's was sort of like, yeah, we're going to get this player. Yeah, we're going to get this player. And we did. And that was it. And it wasn't so that, I guess the Tompas one was a bit of a, a shock. And, you know, to yeah. get a former pick for three years into the system for basically half a ham sandwich was ridiculous. And look, yeah. I, I reckon we absolutely nailed it. Our net change was essentially Dixon and Tompas in uh, for 10.68 and next year's second rounder. And I, that's just ridiculous trading. Yeah, it's it's kind of astounding that we got that done. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> there's no explanation for it. Uh, everything has just come up Millhouse, basically. It's, um, <laughs> it's been brilliant for us this this off season. It's hard to see how it could have been better. Mm. Um, I think if you're looking for another trade winner, it had to be, I suppose, in a way, it'd have to be Geelong. Um, it's interesting that they're bringing in these senior players and just keeping going for another tilt. And I kind of wonder if that's to do with their head coach having experienced that run of success and yeah. wondering if they're destining or setting themselves up for a, a Brisbane Lions kind of explosion in a year or so's time um, where mm. they've just traded everything out and they've put in all these senior players and then just at one day it doesn't click and then they're in the toilet. I guess if you're going to trade out of a draft, this would be the one to do it, and I guess next year as well. But look, I don't mind what they've done. I think I said a couple of weeks ago they've they've got a massive hole in their sort of mid range players, and they've brought in four guys that are they would be hoping would play a hundred games for them. They're all twenty five years old. They're in the perfect age bracket. I reckon they're gunning for a flag next year. I reckon they reckon they might be one last chance for a flag um, to try and send off the likes of Mackie and Bartell in a bit of style. Um, and then I think uh, they might uh, go a little bit downhill from there because um, they, they really don't, I guess, it's a double-edged sword because they don't really have a lot of high-quality youth in their side at the moment either. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, to have that sort of experience hole that they've got, they've filled that, I reckon they've done all right. Yeah, yeah, look, they've done all right. And I guess it comes down to how willing are you to rebuild? And I guess they're probably expecting at this point they kind of have to. Um, The only real problem is that uh, when you bring, I suppose, more senior players in, uh, it means that they're more likely to just either retire or delist when they come to your side. Um, Mm. Which means that you lose that draft capital. But again, that's a problem for future years. Uh, I think loading up is probably not a terrible idea. Um, but gee, they'd really want to, they'd really want to be focused and really do everything else right off field to make sure that they were a premiership threat. Because if they're not, then they've spent a lot on nothing. Um, yeah, it's it's a big risk. But we've we've made a bit of a big risk. But that one that Geelong's have made is really gutsy. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> mm. I reckon Collingwood's been a bit of a winner. Uh, it yeah. could really be massive for them to bring in um, Trelaw, who's a, an absolute superstar, arguably the best young midfielder in the league. Aisha, I don't particularly rate all that highly, but he's obviously got potential, and if he reaches that, he'll be a, a very consistent player for them. Jeremy Howe's another one that I don't overly rate, but you know, if he pulls his finger out at a different club, you know, he could be something a little bit special as well. And you know, they've instantly improved their first 18. They've still got pick 27, so I reckon they're a bit of a winner. Yeah, it's, look, it's um, interesting. They've certainly, I suppose they've done what we were doing a few years ago, in that they've really targeted players that have got a, a good amount of upside and a good amount of time left in their career. Um, so I don't think that necessarily this year they'll all fire, um, but in two or three years' time, which is probably what they're building to, uh, I'd say that they could be very much all in the first 22 and quite good players. Um, so it's certainly, I think it's a strategic draft from Collingwood, but I don't think we'll see the real result of it for a couple of years. Yeah, Melbourne's another winner for me. I think uh, they they brought in three players who are going to be first eighteen players: Melksham, um, Kennedy, and Bug. Um, whilst they're not the best players in the world, they're, they're still going to be first eighteen players for Melbourne, I reckon. And they ended up turning pick six into pick three and seven, which is just ridiculous. Um, so they're going to end up with someone like Darcy Parish with pick uh, three or four. Um, and then you'd think they might go another toll forward to help out Hogan. So maybe looking at Wiedemann or Mackay, or if Kuno drops that far, maybe him as well. So I reckon they're going to—they've absolutely nailed this trade period as well. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, I suppose the comment that they'll go straight in the first eighteen—I'm not sure that's too hard to get in the first eighteen in Melbourne right now. But um, certainly, I agree that the types of players they brought in—I uh, think it speaks to having Ruse as the coach in that they're all pretty hard workers and they. They're maybe not the most talented players, but they'll do their job. And I think that's probably realistically what Melbourne needs right now, as opposed to, say, Jeremy Howe, who's a pretty flaky flanker. Jimmy Tumpus, who's really struggled to get off the ground. Um, and, you know, getting those draft picks as well, that's just gold, really. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to be the team that challenges us and GWS and all that for the most first-round draft picks in a side, I guess. But they're going to have earned yeah. them. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they go from here. That's right. Because the one thing Melbourne really needs is depth. They've got no depth, so they've, they've pretty much solved that problem. Um, if they have another good season next year in terms of um, being able to, to bring in a couple of more players, uh, maybe get another couple of high draft picks, You know, I think they're looking pretty um, for a few years' time. I guess losers. Uh, Frio would be my biggest one. And it sounds strange considering they bought in a player of uh, the quality of Benel uh, for pretty well almost nothing as well but you know they heavily chased key forwards all year and they ended up with a big goose egg had they landed a Schultz or a McCarthy I'd probably be putting some coin on them to win the flag next year but with a 34 year old Pav a bunch of unproven kids I just can't see how it uh, could be considered anything other than a failure yeah I think you're totally right Macca um I think the Harley Bannell is potentially a good addition but he would have been a good, he would have been a better addition if they'd brought in a key forward at the same time, um, and they didn't. Mm. So I suppose it's going to limit how much he can really do uh, as a, I suppose, a forward playing midfielder. Um, and it's assuming he doesn't have off-field issues that get in the way. Um, they didn't address their core concerns, and I don't think they've really gained any extra assets that'll enable them to shift out of the ultra-defensive game plan, which is what they really need to do because it doesn't work in AFL. Um, so yeah, it's going to be going to be a challenge for them. I think almost this year's turned into a holding year for them, um, waiting for McCarthy in 2016 trading period, uh, which mm. is a bit of a weird spot to be in for an AFL club. Uh, I don't know how they're going to perform. I don't know how they're going to focus. Uh, I'm going to guess they're probably going to be one of those sides. It's a bit of an annoyance to be in Perth, and they're probably going to finish 5th to 8th, would be my guess, based on their trade period. And I don't think anything's going to change in the draft that'll fix them up at all. Yep. Mm. No, I think you're spot on. 
Uh, Gold Coast, probably my other loser. Uh, they've lost Bennell, they've lost Smith, they've lost Dixon. They brought in a, an aging Rosa, um, a Daniel Curry, who's uh, probably not all that great. They've heavily banked on picks for next year's draft for their academy. They've got a couple of good kids coming through next year. So hopefully for them, I guess it pays off in 12 months' time. But I guess this year they've got pick six and then 16 and 29. So they've got they've got a really good pick in pick six and a couple of awkward picks. Um I'm just not sure they've really improved their side and it could be another sort of hard year for them, I reckon. I kind of think that really Gold Coast and I think GWS are still following the same strategy and it's almost like draft chicken between the two to see who is going to decide they're going to be a football team first. Um, and I suppose this, what they're doing is something that any club with lim- unlimited finances uh, and total security and a complete disregard for having home crowds should do they're doing exactly what they should be, which is they're basically maximising and keep pushing forward their drafting and keep pushing forward or keeping down the age of their total list um, by doing these trades for draft picks, like future year draft picks particularly. Um, so they can just keep pushing forward and pushing forward until they decide they've got all the pieces from the players that have stayed behind. They've got all the pieces they think that they can just accessorise them and then become you know, pretty much instant top four side. Um, they've got some good players there and they're just going to keep building, but... Uh, gosh, you know, no other team, like no, no non-AFL uh, creator team could do that. Like Port Adelaide wouldn't have the capacity to do it. I don't think the Crows would have the capacity to do it because they might have the financial ability to hang in there and have terrible, terrible games for five years, um, but the crowds wouldn't take it. Whereas it doesn't no. matter for Gold Coast and GWS because no one expects them to have fans at this point anyway. So uh, it's yeah. a bit of a... It's a unique situation for them that they are doing exactly what a cynic would do. And I think it's almost a sign of the corporation uh, basically taking off uh, in Gold Coast and Great GWS is that they're very much corporation clubs at this point. And if I, I don't see them attracting fans while they are more interested in just sort of building for a hypothetical than actually you know, getting fans in. I don't think they're working on that hard enough, uh, certainly off-field. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's right. Uh, I guess the other one who was a little bit interesting was Carlton. I mean, they've <laughs> now got a, a great array of draft picks. They've got pick one. They'll pick Jacob Wiedering, who's a centre-half back. They need that. Uh, they've got pick eight. They'll probably be hoping that uh, a key forward drops to them there. Uh, pick 11, they'll probably pick a midfielder. Same with 19. So they've got four picks in the top 20, but uh, they've pretty much traded anyone that can actually win them games. So I'm not really sure uh, what they're going for next year. Uh, they've traded out Chris Yaron. They've traded out Lockie Henderson, Troy Menzel. Um, it's an interesting strategy. Um, I think they've pretty much locked in the number one draft pick for next year as well. Um, but I think it's probably a little bit of a dangerous strategy considering how badly um, stockpiling number one draft picks worked for them last time. I think this is really closely related to the previous two teams in that uh, we we are certainly have picked our cycle of being near the top for the right time. Because right now, if you're a shit team, like if you're a shit team right now, like not on the rise, but really terrible like Carlton is, you look at the teams that are ahead of you and you have to think, well, first of all, what are they doing? But second of all, how do we beat that? Uh, And I think that Carlton have sort of taken the unimaginative route of thinking, well, I mean, the only way we can beat a team that's completely loaded with first-round picks is to get some ourselves. Uh, (laughs) And that's great everyone in the competition because it means Carlton will lose lots of games but it ties into that problem that GWS and Gold Coast don't have which is that Carlton's still a member run club and if they keep putting out shit sides for five years which just looks like it's what they're aiming to do um, there's going to be a riot there's going to be people sacked, it's going to be pretty awful uh, if they don't actually concentrate on having a, a decent first 22 that's competitive so um, yeah it's, I think they're trying to ape G, uh, Gold Coast and GWS and I don't think it's going to work for them it certainly can't work to, for them to the same extent. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know. And people don't get priority picks anymore, so I don't, I don't really know what the long-term plan is. It'd be interesting to mm. see how they draft, to see whether they're drafting project players, which will indicate that they're intending to be at this level for a while, or if they uh, are just taking a novel approach to sort of rejuvenating their side and they're going to pick mostly midfielders and flankers. So it'll be interesting to see how they draft. It'll tell us a lot about what they think they're doing. Yeah. Good luck, Brendan Bolton. That's all I've got to say. I honestly can't see them winning more than two or three games next year because I'm just not sure who's going to kick their goals. They're going in, into the season with Casbolt and Liam Jones as their key forwards. I mean, it's just... I would not want to be a Carlton supporter right now. 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I, we know firsthand that teams can win games um, when they're in terrible form with small players in the forward line. It doesn't get you in the finals, but it wins you a few games, and that's probably what they're hoping to do. Mm. We'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting to see. I think Carlton, it's going to be a train wreck, but it'll be interesting to see what sort of train wreck it is, you know, for those train spotters out there. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, we've already spoken about Port, but I guess... Uh... Two or three interesting ones was that uh, Andrew Moore and Aaron Young couldn't find a new home. We say goodbye to Andrew Moore, who's been delisted. Um, it looks likely that he's going to find a new home as a delisted free agent at uh, Richmond. But I guess it says a bit that in a year of record trading that he couldn't find a home. Um, we've also um, delisted Kane Mitchell. Uh, the club plans to redraft him onto the rookie list. I think that's probably fair. He's a decent backup. Um, but we should be able to find someone better for the senior list. Yeah, um, as far as Moore's concerned, I didn't. There was a lot of talk on Big Footy about the value he had in trade period because he was the number one pick six years ago. Um, if it was three years ago, he might have had a little, uh, but he didn't, and he has done nothing at AFL level that is really of any note. Uh, I, I, it's really, I don't think there's been any part of his game that you would say that he had any consistency to him or that he had any top end potential. And why would a club trade for that? Um, I think everyone knew he was going to be delisted and if you're going to delist a player then no club's going to offer you anything they're just going to pick him up DFA these days because you can just do that um, yep. I think Mitchell being dropped and probably rookied is the best option um, we've discussed previously I mean I think he's still a decent backup if we have horrible injuries uh, because he's one of those fringe players that actually has proven he can be uh, an important part of a high performing side which is what we're intending to be clearly this year um, and so keeping on the rookie list is probably a good way to go uh, if we lose a midfielder for the full year. Um, although I did see a comment on Bigfooty earlier, which I thought was a good one, which is that you know having Cracker and Mitchell on the rookie list sort of says that we're having trouble making decisions or we're fence sitting. And I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that one. Um, I think that we're going to struggle in coming years uh, with our work ethic is number one strategy, uh, way of motivating the team. Because at a certain point, hard work just won't cut it. And I think it's going to be hard for Ken to uh, make those cuts when they need to be happening. Theoretically, there probably should have been a few already. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out and how Port Adelaide adapts to being a top side. Well, moving on, yep. we've got our final week of the player reviews this week, titled The Campaigners, The Old Reliable, The Experienced Fellas. Um, so we might as well jump into it and talk about the first player, who is uh, Jay Schultz, who's a 30-year-old key forward, played 20 games in 2015 for 11 touches, 2.2 uh, goals, 5.5 marks, and a couple of inside 50s a game. Uh, quite simply, he was kind of a barometer in some aspects for our side in 2015. If he kicked goals, we generally won. If he didn't, um, it meant our midfield was uh, not working to its potential, um, yep. and we generally lost. So he kicked 33 goals in 10 wins and 11 goals in 10 losses. Yeah, I think he had a pretty solid season. I don't think he had the season he wanted, which is probably why the Fremantle thing didn't really pan out to the extent it could have. Um, I think going into next year, it's going to be an interesting position for him. Uh, everything Charlie Dixon's been saying in his press conferences and so forth is that he's going to be the one that has to fit in. Um, but you have to wonder how much... Jay Schultz is going to have to accept that he's not the number one forward because you'd have to say that after three or four rounds, you'd be a bit surprised if Schultz was still the number one key forward in our side. Um, mm. And, of course, the side's going to have to adapt to actually playing a forward line now, which is going to be a novelty, um, with two key forwards, or three, potentially. Um, it'd be interesting to see how we uh, have that working and uh, it goes through the side. So Schultz's year this year... I don't know how it's going to be, but this year I think he should be pretty pleased with the, with the, the performance he's put in based on where he's at in his career. Um, and it's good for him to be on for another year. Um, hopefully he'll jag a premiership in that year. Yeah. He dropped from 86 to 48 marks inside 50, so he just didn't really seem to be able to break free from his opponent much this year. Mm. thought he was really good against Hawthorne and Adelaide early in the season. Probably fell in a little bit of a hole mid-year, uh, but had a pretty good end to his season as well. Yeah, and I think it's kind of uh, a bit of a bonus that the periods, in, the periods in which he was performing, are periods in which Port was performing. Um, because again, we're yeah. trying to be a side that is consistent every week and can perform at the top level. So you do need a few of those players that you can just rely on to be good when the side is good. Um, and we do yeah. have a few of those, but it can, I suppose, if you have too many, you can be seen as being a front runner. So we'll see how that goes. 
I guess the good thing about Dixon coming in is that he can play full forward and Schultz, can go on his sort of roaming um, sort of runs and, and take some grabs on the wing and um, on the half-forward line and still have someone to kick to, which is great. I would have thought it'd be the other way around, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you have Schultz really? playing? Yeah, I would have thought you'd have Schultz playing, um, just doing leads from full forward and have because Dixon's pretty mobile. Um, I would have thought he would be more your centre half forward type, in my opinion. I don't know. I, like, I reckon Schultz is quicker. I reckon he's a bit more agile. So I reckon uh, Schultz will be the one doing the uh, the roaming leads. I reckon. I think Schultz might be have a more pace, but I think if you want agility, so for example, a, a lead that ends in a curve or whatever else, I think you'd do Dixon every time, wouldn't you? Yeah, possibly. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's got a bit more of that. I, don't know, uh, I just reckon with his, with his height, he'd be better off uh, playing out of the goal square, I reckon. I think he can be good in the goal square, but I think, yeah, I don't know, with that height, you can be good anywhere, realistically. <laughs> Maybe we are looking at the new era, Scott Hodges, Mark Tyler, and we'll be playing a dual full forward line. Oh, maybe, maybe. There you go. Wow. <laughs> Tread Ray Lockwood. Bring it on. <laughs> Hopefully Dixon doesn't punch uh, Scotty Hodges and break his hand or something like that. <laughs> or Jay Schultz like bloody Mark Tyler did. I think but anyway. Jay Schultz, Schultz would just keep playing, wouldn't he? <laughs> probably. Probably. That's it. Well, next player, Justin Westhoff, a 29-year-old key forward, played every game in 2015 for 18 disposals, just under seven marks, uh, three inside 50s. Um, and he also kicked 25 goals for the season. Uh, I thought his first half of the season was pretty poor. Um, second half of the season was much better. He started to impact a bit more, got into scoring position a bit more as well. But uh, for me, I think he's one. He's the one player whose spot um, in the side may come under a bit of question if the ryder Lobie um, partnership looks like working. Yeah, I think that... Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that Westhoff and Lobie are going to be in opposition to a certain extent. Um I think he had a pretty poor year west off this year, realistically. Uh, I don't think he was particularly influential in a lot of games. He wasn't a few, but um, for the most part, I would have said he had a, a bit of a down year, and hopefully hopefully next year he can do a bit better. Um, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what we should expect from west off. It's so hard to tell because he seems to be up and down regardless of the quality of the, the team in that season. It just seems to be an independent thing with him. So I just wonder what guides his form line, realistically. I don't know what it is. Mm. He seems to struggle to put more than about three or four good games together in a row, mm. and then he sort of falls in a bit of a hole. Um, so I guess that's something for him to work on next year. Um, I really hope he stays in the side um, and f- tries to rekindle some of his best form and, and tries to find a bit of consistency as well, because when he's at his best, he's just about unstoppable, but we just don't see it often enough. I think that his place in the side will be good if we play a more congested forward line. Because I think the one thing that you can rely on Westhoff for and that he is particularly good at is if you have a congested forward line is that he'll do the odd little thing that the other opposition isn't uh, expecting. So that if, for example, there is a flood in the forward line, um, yeah, you can have the big guys jumping and leading and whatever else. But then sometimes you do need that tricky option. And I think that's really where Westhoff does shine. So... Um, hopefully he can stay in. I guess if we were really pitting Westhoff versus Lobby at this stage, like we just discussed, I think I would be um, uh, barracking for Westhoff to stay in of those two. Yeah. Me too. It, I guess it just depends on how much Ken wants to try and get Ryder and Lobby to work as a partnership. Mm. But yeah, certainly my choice would be Westhoff at this point in time. Uh, next player, uh, Bobby Carlisle, 28-year-old fullback. Uh, just the 12 games in 2015, his lowest since uh, 2007 at the start of his career. Uh, he pretty well maintained his averages of the last four seasons of 12 touches and three marks. When he wasn't injured, I thought he played some of the best football in, in his career. Certainly mm. his first half of the season was fantastic. Um, probably deserved to be talked about in all Australian circles at that point of the season, but unfortunately got injured and pretty much played no part in the second half of the season at all. Yeah, look, I was, uh, like you, Macro, I really enjoyed um, Carlisle's first part of the year. Um, I think that if he can keep that up, uh, it'll be really great. I think his fullbacks obviously hit their peak a little bit later than most players generally tend to, and I think that uh, going into next year, his experience uh, and his ability to... Uh, playing our defence as part of the unit is going to be uh, phenomenally important, particularly with the guidance of Nathan Bassett. I think um, I think that's going to be a big get for Port Adelaide in our defensive uh, aspects uh, in this next year. It'll be interesting to see how we go. 
Um, obviously, the defence, I think, towards the end of the year really gelled and Bobby wasn't really there for that. Um, so there's going to be adjustments made in our defence and hopefully he can be part of it. Yeah. That's it. I think, um, where do we see his career going after the end of next season? He'll be out of contract after his monster contract. Um, do we see him getting another one? Do we see it being a long one? Or do we think it'll be maybe just a one-year deal? I'd almost question how Clurie goes, for example, or for that matter, Logan Austin. Um, because this, realistically, a 29-year-old fullback, um, that's a pretty prime uh, unrestricted free agent target for other clubs that need a fullback. Uh, and there's going to be a few. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you got some big offers during the year, quite honestly. Mm. Uh, and if they're pretty good, then I don't know that we'd necessarily match them. I think we might back ourselves in with the guys we've got and um, see how we go from there. Because, I mean, Trent Gove, Clurry, potentially Austin and Homsch. Um, I mean, that's still a, a good set of three tall backs uh, going forward for the next two or three years after after Bobby um, leaves, potentially. So I think that he might get a big offer. We'll see. It'll come down to Bobby, I think, more than anything else uh, as to whether he's on our list. Because I think we'd keep him. But he might get that, that big deal to go back to Victoria um, and play for mm. St Kilda or someone. Mm, see, no, I don't see St Kilda because they've got Goddard, they've just got Carlisle. I reckon Frio might be the one that comes knocking. If they don't get a key defender in the draft, I reckon they might be the one that throws you know, maybe a three-year deal at him. Um, just see what he can do. Because with McFarlane retired, you know, they're, they've got a bit of an ageing defence as well with Dawson and Silvani. Um, I don't know. He might be the one that sort of steadies the ship, and you know, with McCarthy coming in as well, um, that might be their chance for a flag. Yeah, no, that's a fair call. Um, yeah, 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 potentially. I guess it comes down to how they acquire him. Um, mm, whether it's. That's yeah. it. Mm, mm. But let's hope he stays, because I do like yes. Bobby. Yeah, same. And now that he's uh, won his first Brownlow uh, votes, um, <laughs> you know, the, the sky's the limit, really. He's let us all down with that. <laughs> he had a record going there and he just stuffed it up. He did. No you ruined it. Ruined it. Ah, not good enough. <laughs> Next player, Paddy Ryder, 27-year-old ruck. Um, obviously, his first season at Port Adelaide, he played 18 matches, averaged 11 touches, nearly 23 hitouts and a goal a game. He was the only player in the league to average over 20 hitouts and a goal a game, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, but only really played the one bad game against Sydney when he came back from his injury. Outside of that, I thought he showed a lot of consistency through the ruck. It was maybe a bit hit and miss up forward, but um, generally his best games were incredible. I think that Ryder had a good year. I don't think it's the best we've seen for the power at AFL level, but it's certainly um, seeing him play this year after uh, a few years of fairly indifferent rucking in terms of the ability to be not just a negating ruck, but actually also get the ball to real advantage um, was a real treat for us and I suppose that's part of why there's been a bit of mixed sentiment about Lobby over this off-season because we've seen fantastic Ruckman in the Port Adelaide side at the AFL level before we've seen Primus, we've seen Laid, we've seen Brogan um, all amazing Rucks realistically uh, in the grand scheme of things because they're all very competitive and aggressive and very much contributing to the attack uh, and to see that again in Ryder um, I think has just reminded us of how much we'd settled previously in the last four or five years. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, it's really great to see that back in Port Adelaide. I think it'll go well with our fairly attacking midfield. Um, and he's had his first season at the club. He had a bit of, um, I think, a bit of time to fit in. And I think he knows how everything works. And I think he knows his teammates. And, um, yeah, this year, I think, is the year we can really expect to see him put it all together and put in a full season for Port Adelaide as the number one ruck. Yeah, that's right. I thought he had a, a couple of really fantastic games throughout the year. His two showdowns were really good. Um, obviously, he was the match winner against the Bombers um, in round 17. Kicked four goals um, in, a, in a great display there. Had some really good um, ruck performances throughout the year against Collingwood. He was wonderful. Uh, later in the year against Hawthorne and GWS as well. Yeah, no, he's um, had some pretty fantastic performances and some moments where you just go, wow, how did we get this guy Um it's, I think we're going to have another one of those this year with um, uh, certainly, I would say, with Dixon and maybe even with Tompus. But it's just amazing that we managed to get this to go through. Um, thank you, Essendon, for being drug cheats and scum. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. Good call. <laughs> 
So the big question is, we touched on it a little bit just earlier, but do we see Ryder and Loby uh, continuing on their partnership next year? Or do we see Loby um, playing in the SANFL? I think it's going to come down to whether there are any tweaks to our game plan. Um, so, for example, I think this year, if you look at the um, the typical setup for our side, we uh, have been a side that's avoided congestion. So we haven't been the side that's trying to actively cause a ball up for the most part. Uh, certainly when we had, say, Primus Lay Brogan, we were always that side trying to cause congestion because we had such good ruckmen and such good setups from um, the stoppages. And I don't think we've had that same degree of confidence in doing that. So if there's a change mm. over the off-season to focus more on that congestion and causing ball-ups when the things are, when uh, possession isn't going away, so more locking up the ball, then we might see Ryder and Lobby really take off um, because you'll obviously need to have you know, Ruckman ready to go for the increased number of stoppages that we will be actively causing. Like We'll be predicting that to happen. I think that if we keep playing like we have been playing, where we just don't really particularly like stoppages, we just want to keep the ball moving, um, then I think that the Ryder-Lobby partnership will probably be going downhill from there because um, unless the rest of the league decides this year is a stoppage year, uh, which they might, it's hard to say. Um, mm. Yeah, it's hard to say with the, the quality of rocks in the league. I don't think it's particularly high right now overall. Um, so, yeah, I guess against Port you probably would be going for stoppages. So it might be that we're forced into a situation where we do need two ruckmen in the side. Though that's probably going to be week-by-week proposition. So... I think it's really going to come down to coaching direction and what they decide is their plan A for us this year. And if we haven't changed things too much over the years previously, I'd suggest that at this point, unless there's a big change, it's going to be Ryder and then maybe occasionally Lobby in the side. Yeah. I guess the big change is going to be the limit um, to the interchanges as well as the lack of a sub rule this year. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays on teams deciding whether they do play two rucks or not? Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's going to be a, very much an up and down year in terms of how teams treat that, uh, how some will go with two rucks and go with that, but they might not see a big benefit. Some will take the chance and they might get caught out. So it's hard to say uh, because it's one of those things where it's going to be dictated by what most people in the league are doing. Um, I think that what we might see really just with the limited interchange though is rather than... Um, necessarily meaning that you need to have more endurance but going back to having places on the field where you rest players so for example you know you rest players in the back pocket or in the forward line rather than necessarily take them off uh, and with Ryder we have that flexibility to do that so if Ryder isn't rucking we can and we're maybe not doing great in midfield order for us we can park him in a forward pocket um, uh, while he's not rucking and then just do another change for Lobby to come on if Lobby could play in defence we could do that endlessly and we wouldn't affect our interchanges too much. But the fact that Lobby's only a ruck, again, that's a thing that goes against him, I think, with the decreased interchanges in some respects because you can't rest him on the field. If he's not rucking, he's not doing anything for the most part unless he changes his game enormously over this off-season. So yeah. I think, if anything, it probably is... I, I feel it's going to work against Lobby, but I could see that if the whole leg is going to a two-ruck system, then we'll sort of have to adapt and uh, respond to that. And that might mean that he does stay in the side. It'll be interesting to see how yeah. the league responds. Yeah. All right, next player, Paul Stewart, 28-year-old utility. He played six AFL games for 11.5 touches, 3.5 marks, and a couple of tackles a game. Uh, was very consistent again at SANFL level with uh, 20 touches in 12 games. Um, he got the odd chance here and there at AFL level, but he's quite simply a depth player now. And I don't know, it still seems a bit of a strange decision that we gave him a two-year deal a couple of years ago, or last year, sorry. Yeah, it's weird. Um <laughs> It comes down to character recruiting, I guess, and that's, again, part of the issue that Port Adelaide have to face is that sometimes you're going to have to list, delist good guys um, that work hard. You have to do it. Um, and I think that that's, certainly if you're looking at, the, I suppose, the sins, if there are any that we've had over the last few years, it's that we've hung on to guys that are hard workers a bit too long. Uh, and because of that, we haven't really turned players over. The depth maybe isn't quite where it could be. Um, it's, yeah... It, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised he's still on the list, but I'm surprised he did get that two-year extension, uh, given he looked pretty much on the out at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would be. I would be happier if he was not on. It's our the list good bloke contract. It's the good bloke contract, but we've got a few of them. That's the problem. We've had a few of them. Mm. You know, like Logan. How long was Logan around for the good bloke? Um, you know, Mitchell's a good bloke. He's been sort of hanging around there for a while. Um, there's a lot mm. of good blokes that sort of just sort of. Ditchy, Salter. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's good blokes who just sort of hang around for a long time. Toby Thurston's. Ah, oh, I think he performed a bit better than most of these guys that we're talking about, but um. Yeah, but it took him eight years to get a bloody game. That's, that's <laughs> well, that's probably not unfair. Yeah. <laughs> Although I really like Paul Stewart, but I don't know, he's he's just got his limitations at AFL level. Um, mm. I guess the good thing about him is he is. Uh, I guess he's durable in the fact that he can come in and do a job. He can play anywhere, which I think is uh, is pretty important as well. So he can do a job down back. He can play through the middle. He's kicked goals like forward in the past. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I really can't see him getting a game next year at all. No, I think it'll be a absolutely... It probably means that we've been hit massively with injuries if he gets a game. Mm. Mm. I'm just wondering if we choked a little bit last year and maybe thought that a, a couple of teams were knocking um, and they maybe weren't. How do you mean? In the fact that we gave him a two-year deal because you would have thought that a one-year deal would have been more than um, adequate for Paul yeah. at the end of last year considering he didn't really have a great year last year. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. It, it just seemed like an absolute odds-on decision that he'd be delisted this year and I guess his form, um, his inability to get in the side on a consistent basis, you would think that um, he should have been delisted this year but we mm. can't afford to pay out his contract, I guess. So... Um, he stays for 2016. Yeah, it's it, it's a bit interesting that we're following that route. Um, and I guess it maybe speaks to those uh, salary cap pressures that Damien Barrett keeps talking about, in that uh, if you can't afford to delist Paul Stewart and bring in a, a, a rookie on base or a regular player on base wage, then maybe you do have salary cap problems. Um, mm. You know, maybe well, that's what's happened. If we were going to delist someone and re-rookie them, then Paul Stewart would be the one because his um, his salary then doesn't count towards the salary cap. So I don't know oh, what he would be on. I don't think that's true, is it? I think it is, yeah. I don't, ooh, yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised. R- rookie list players don't count towards the salary cap. Yeah, if they're drafted as rookie. Oh, I don't know, but it's an existing contract, so maybe the difference wouldn't count, like the base wage wouldn't count. We still have to pay him. Access- like, we still yeah. have to pay him. But, no, but if he's on it doesn't go towards year, the salary cap. But if he's on 150 a year and the new rookie wage is only, what, 60 or whatever it is, then we'd probably still be up for 70 within the cap, I would have thought, whatever the excess is that he's earning for being on an AFL list. I would imagine that would be what it would operate like. I'm not sure. I don't think it does. It'd be interesting I think know. it's 100, I think it's 100% out of the cap, but I could be very much wrong. It's an REH question, probably. <laughs> it is. It is an REH. Save us. Yeah. Save us, REH. <laughs> Let us know on the forum. Oh, yeah. Uh, next player, Jackie Homsch, which I guess is a little bit funny putting him with the campaigners. As he's only 22, but he's just become so reliable. Um, this mm. is probably the best spot for him. Um, he played every game in 2015, 13 touches, just under five marks a game, really improved in his rebounds um, and one percenters, was one of the leaders in marks from opposition kicks across the whole league as well. Uh, just like Bobby, um, up to round 11, he was in All-Australian form. Yeah, a lot of us thought that. Um, barely got beaten. Was fantastic with the bowl. Um, was probably our best player to that point as well. Wouldn't surprise if he does lead the uh, best and fairest halfway through the year. But I thought as soon as Carlisle went down and Homsch had to uh, take over as that number one key defender, I thought his form dropped significantly. And you know, it was really poor for about six or seven weeks there. Um, and he could have almost lost his place in the side at some points of the season. Um, but I thought he did have a great uh, end of the year as well. Yeah, I think that if you're looking for, I suppose, a comparison to previous Port Adelaide sides, like he's the Matthew Bishop of this side, uh, in that he can be defensive, but he's better off just sort of creating a bit. Um, and I think that really, if I'm looking at players that aren't stars, that are pretty much locks for our side, I mean, Holmes is one of those, really. Uh, because yep. when the side is good around him, so when he does have two key defenders that are lockdowns and he's sort of the third... Um, he's really good. He can do everything you expect someone in that role to do. Uh, and he does it consistently, and he does it with good focus. Um, I think he's a really talented backman. Um, and, yeah, I've got no issues with him being on a list for another four or five years, at least. Um, I don't imagine his form will vary too much in that time because of the way he plays and the role he plays. Yeah. Um, I do agree that when he goes back, he's not as good. Um, but that's sort of like... I'll, give, I'll use a Crows comparison here. It's sort of like how Nathan Bassett, when Ben Rutten wasn't in the side, he was never as good as when he was, as when Ben Rutten was, because Ben Rutten did the 
the lockdown and then that meant Bassett could create. And I think it's a similar thing with Homsch and whoever the, the key defenders are at Port Adelaide, is that if he's got a lockdown doing the big targets, then he can be very good. And yeah. Bassett is coach, I think you'll know exactly how Homsch wants to play. So that could have a positive benefit as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic comparison. I think he's got plenty of improvement for 2016. For God's sake, Jack, just please practice your goal kicking. For those odd occasions when you sneak up forward, we don't want to see the ball flying out of bounds on the full every time you have a shot on goal. Yeah, this is one of those times when you really want Darren Mead back in the side to go forward and tap him <laughs> on the shoulder and say, no, it's all right, just kick it like this. Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> maybe, right. Maybe Trengo could take over that role. <laughs> mm, indeed. I do think he must improve when he's the, the number one key defender on the big names because, look, Carlisle and Trengo aren't the most durable key defenders, so there is going to be times throughout next year where we're going to have to rely on him, maybe mid-game, uh, to take on a bigger role than what he's um, had this year. Um, and he really does need to, to probably improve his positioning and you know, maybe just uh, the mental side of that game as well. Yeah, I think, again, this is probably where Cleary comes in and maybe over this off-season he'll be refocused to be very defensive in terms of how he plays, both as backup for Carlisle in the long term, but also because um, the creative third tool um, it's probably something we could even match up with a flanker and just have someone like Broadbent try and be negating against a, a, a half, you know, medium forward uh, rather than have Homsch play short or whatever else. So um, it'd be interesting to see how those defensive players are targeted um, and trained for this coming year. Um, I'm really excited to see how defence goes next year because I think at the end of this year we saw the team really gel and I wonder how the change will um, affect them. I think that. We could, I suppose, if we're talking about premierships, because let's face it, we are, um, if we're talking about premierships, it'll be interesting to think who will be the most defensive side in the league in terms of who has the least points scored against them. I think it could be us. Um, as much mm. as we consider ourselves to be an attacking side, I think it could be us this year, realistically. Um, I think our defence is first rate. Um, I think we should have multiple All-Australians if they perform up to the level that we know they can, um, touching wood again. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll really have a good crack this year at being a fantastic defensive unit. But and Homsch is certainly yeah. a big part of that. We were 33 goals worse off this year in terms of um, our against score. So we we conceded 243 in the minor round in 2014, 276 uh, this year. So. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, I do agree. It's um, you know, it's a very solid defence. You know, it's a very I don't know. I mean, there's not many changes that really need to be made. They're all coming into that age group now where they're at that sort of premiership experience um, that you would find at other clubs. Um, yeah. You know, the likes of Geelong and Hawthorne in recent years. Um, so, yeah, I, I th- would think we're a big chance of maybe having the best um, against um, score for the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I-, I think it all comes down to the midfield, though. I think they need to pull their part more than what they did um, this year. So I think that's probably one area where it really let us down. I don't know that that's a midfield criticism. I think that we played with... I mean, we clearly played with extra defenders this year to a large extent. So we had, what, towards the end of the year, we had four creative halfbacks and Hamish Hartlett. Um, I think that defence is probably going to lose a player in this off-season to play out forward. Uh, so, yeah, midfield's going to have a higher impact, but also defence is going to have to really tighten up. But I think the thing that makes our defence most uh, threatening this year is that it's so diverse. Like, there's not a thing that you would want a defender to do that we don't have one or two players that can do it. So we've got creative halfbacks, we've got creative tools, we've got negating halfbacks, negating tools. We've got guys that can run in midfield, we've got guys that can just sort of be really focused and shut down, we've got guys that cut in front and take marks um, in front of leading forwards. Um, there's, I don't think there's a single aspect of defence that our defence is not capable of doing with multiple players. Uh, and that is really great in terms of depth, but also in terms of the team performing as a unit. Um, but yeah, I agree. Midfield needs to pick up, but also defence is probably going to lose a player this year. Yes, I hope so, because I think we really need to play six forwards. Yeah, I agree. Or at least five. Mm. Four sometimes would be uh, good as well. But there you go. <laughs> yeah. Last player for our player reviews of 2015. It's been a long few weeks. Um, this is lucky last. Tommy Logan, talking about good blokes. Uh, 30-year-old small defender. Didn't play an AFL game this year. Played 21 games in the SANFL for 19 touches and 6 marks a game. 
Finishes his career with 117 AFL games across uh, 11 seasons. Uh, finished third in our best and fairest in 2011. Was my favourite to win it in 2008 as well. Uh, was best on ground in a final in 2007, the prelim final. It was absolutely wonderful that day. Um, and I guess he lives the old cliche of never the most skillful or the quickest, uh, but had a massive heart and was uh, courageous to a fault. Yeah, I think Tommy Logan's one of those guys that just don't... You get the impression he's just a really lovely guy. Um, and it's great that he was a pretty decent forward, uh, decent footballer Sorry for the most part as well. Um, mm. He's been out of action for a few years now, and it's kind of surprising that we kept him on this long. But, uh, yeah, good on him. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised, but I probably shouldn't have been, by how glowingly everyone seemed to speak of him when he was um, you know, told to move along or retired or whatever it was, realistically. Um he had a lot of really positive words said about him uh, and repeatedly and I'm curious as to why that is and I'm wondering whether that's again it's a good guy thing or not um, I think as a player he had some very good games but I think I don't know that he was ever really well, except when we were primus shit maybe uh, I don't think he was ever really top 10 um, mm. yeah I, uh, it's surprising the amount of uh, kindness he got on leaving the club um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing but it speaks to how the club is uh, perceiving their players and this very much, I mean, they made a big deal about it. Tumpa said after he was traded in, you know, I'm glad to be coming to a team that is based on hard work. Um, That's clearly how we're operating. Um, Tom Logan epitomises that, uh, hard work and never giving up. Um, I think those are the two things that no one would be able able to criticise him on. Um, Mm. But look, I, I think it's, I, th- I enjoyed him as a player um, and I wish him all the best in the future. Um, I'm glad he played for the club uh, through some yeah. pretty awful times. Indeed. Oh, look, I think it's pretty clear that he was a, a very, very popular player um, mm. in amongst the playing group and across the club. You know, I think he was a favourite amongst the players. Um, that's why he stayed around for so long. You, know, you could never fold his courage, um, although there were probably many times where he was maybe too courageous in terms of um, to the detriment of uh, of the contest, you know, throwing himself in and taking out one of his own teammates or things like that. That seemed to happen <laughs> quite a few times across uh, the sort of Primus era. Um, but I really enjoyed his sort of renaissance through 2013, uh, especially his final series where he just sort of came in, did a job, um, and was, uh, you know, one of our best players in the 2013 final series. And, um, you know, last year he played a couple of really good games as well. Um, you know, he's probably a player that's uh, that's going to be one of those sort of cult heroes for a long time. Yeah, I think that if you look back at Tom Logan's career, I don't. He's the Jared Poulton of the uh, of this era. I, <laughs> uh, I think he's done better than Jared Poulton. Um, I think that I think if Tom Logan looks back at his career, I think he should be pretty proud of the fact that he didn't really, really leave much on the field. Like he gave it his all every week. I think, and I think that's yep. probably what earned him a lot of respect. Um, he might not have been the most talented player, but he always put in. Um, and certainly I think for a long time we were saying, you know, if you're not better than Tom Logan, you're not on the side. That's sort of the benchmark. Um, yeah. And it'd be interesting to see who replaces that because we've lost two that, that, in that category this year. We've lost Tom Logan and obviously, as far as fitness is concerned, we've lost Kane Corns. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who stands mm. up as the new standard to beat for hard work and fitness. I want to say Matty White. Oh, really? Yep. Okay, interesting. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, know who, I, don't, I don't know who it would be. I don't know who it would be. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure who it would be. Like, who would be the fittest apart from Kane Corns that most reliably consistently at that level? Would it be Matt White? Oh. Probably Sammy Cohn. I would think. You reckon? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, he, he usually finishes sort of pretty high up in the, uh, in the running sort of things. Maybe Tom Cleary as well. I think yeah. that the whole theory of uh, you've got to be better than Tom Logan to get in the side, I reckon maybe Cam O'Shea's that player next year. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, yeah. I don't know. Seems I to always be back flankers. I think that Cam varies too much in his performance to be that player. Like, has to be someone super consistent that is not quite up to it, um, in theory. Hmm. Matty what? No, he's, 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 he's excellent. <laughs> mm. Yeah, maybe, maybe Jarman Impey could maybe be. Uh, could be one. Yeah, it could be Montfries. That's a good call. Yeah, yeah, I like that call. He's a pretty hard worker and he's pretty consistent. And he might be 
Could be yeah. Jasper Pitta, just because I want to lay into Pitta while Rick's not here, so. <laughs> no, no, no. DJ Jazzy Jasper, he's, uh, he's fine. I think he's going to... He's far too good to be that player, unfortunately. He'll be <laughs> all Australian Maddie Broad- next year. Matty Broadbent. Why not Matty Broadbent? Matty Broadbent, that's a good call. That, yeah. That'll work. Matty Broadbent for that player. Indeed. That's it. Mm. Well, look, that's it. That's our player reviews done for 2015. Yeah. Thank God for that. <laughs> Self-applause, self-applause. We've done well. (laughs) And on that note, that's also the last of our weekly podcasts for the year as well. We'll be back in uh, two or three weeks' time uh, to do a couple of draft podcasts. We'll do a bit of a preview and a phantom. Um, And then uh, the week after the draft, we'll review our picks uh, in a bit of detail as well and and see what sort of guns we've picked up. Well, I mean, if this off-season so far is anything to go by, we're going to have some first-round picks dropped to both of our picks, and we'll do a Matt Rendell and say, ah, oh, these were the guys that were top 10 on our board, picks 32 yes. and 49. Um, yeah, we got exactly the guys we wanted. If we'd had picks four and five, we would have picked the same guys, so we did well. Ooh, the new <laughs> Sam Siggins. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I've got for this evening. I'll play you. Thank so you, thank you for coming on once again. Um, very pleased to be here. It's always fun talking about stuff like this. Um, I don't know a lot of Port fans in real life because it's very hard to be a Port fan sometimes. <laughs> Indeed, especially in, Melbourne. especially in Melbourne. Well, in Melbourne, but anywhere really, because you either Port are doing really well and everyone, no one really wants to talk about it or hear too much about it in the depth that you're willing to talk about it. Or Port are terrible and people just want to hang crap on you. Um, I was living in Sydney when mm. we lost that, pre- that um, the prelim to Sydney in 2003, was it? Uh, and that was the worst time to be a visible Port supporter I can possibly imagine um, because mm. suddenly you discover how many people think they follow AFL. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Mm. Absolutely. All right, until next time, can the pair. Can Port. Seabone now caught. Port Adelaide are beginning to build. Foster's kick is through half forward. Knocked away by Hodges. On the run is Rowan Smith. Bends it to the goal square. And puts it through. Oh, a fantastic goal. Rowan Smith's first. And they're the sort of games that win matches.